Hi there, this is Dr. Mark Sklar, and today we'll be mapping LGBTQ fertility on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Mark Sklar. For more than 18 years, the fertility expert, Dr. Mark Sklar, has been helping couples struggling to conceive and women and men regulating their hormones and reproductive health with his virtual fertility consultations, coaching, and fertility programs. In addition to his doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine, Dr. Sklar trained at the Harvard Medical School Mind Body Medical Institute. He is the creator of Fertility TV, MarkSklar.com, and ReproductiveWellness.com, and the co-author of Secret to Conception. Mark lives in San Diego with his wife and two sons, where he has two clinics, but he also works with couples all over the world through his fertility online coaching. Mark, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am super excited. You know, Mark, we've discussed fertility. We've discussed fertility nutrition on the 15-Minute Matrix. But I imagine there are many different factors that come into play when we're considering fertility for LGBTQ folks. And that one size does not fit all. Can you help us identify some of the biggest factors that we need to consider when supporting this patient population? Yeah, I don't often look at the LGBTQ population when they walk into my office any different than I would anybody else, other than you have to account for some things, you know, the emotional piece and and how we're going to put, you know, one and one together to make two. But outside of that, you know, you have to assess them the way you would otherwise. I think the first thing we have to remember is we do have to rule out and, and assess all the general areas that you would do with any other population and individual, right? You know, so yes. obviously we have to look at all the immune factors, hormones, and, and so forth, and really address all those things that you've probably looked at and addressed in previous segments of your show. But with LGBTQ, we have to obviously look at other variables. And I think the, the one of the biggest pieces is going to be the the emotional piece. Yeah. And I think one of the other pieces is going to be structural just in the sense of, you know, who are you working with and what different accommodations you have to make. Because if you have two women who are trying to start a family, obviously you have to start thinking about, well, 
Where's the sperm going to come from? There's legal issues that come around with that as well that mm-hmm. obviously needs to be uh, addressed. And, and, and certainly some of those might vary from state to state. But one of the bigger conversations that I've seen and have had with couples has been, well, especially if it's, if it's two women, it's going to be, well, whose eggs are we using? Right. Who's carrying? I have a couple right now that I'm working with and they're actually retrieving eggs from both and then fertilizing both with the same sperm, but then transferring those embryos to the opposite partner. Wow. Right. And so there's just a lot of different things that you just don't necessarily take into account in a male female relationship that you have to in this situation. Obviously, also, if you've got two men working, they don't have eggs. There's a dynamic of who's going to be where they're going to be getting the the donor egg from. And I think an, another piece that really often comes back to emotions is when we start talking about donor on either side of things is, are they getting a donor from someone they know? And do they want that person to be involved in the parenting or relationship in some format? Or are they going to get it from a, a bank because they don't want their involvement? You know, there's a lot of different things that come into play. And I've seen it all. I've seen friends a gay couple and a lesbian couple, and they've donated to each other. So they have siblings, but they're different parents. Um, And I've seen that go very, very well and positively and also see that go south, unfortunately, just because of other dynamics that occur between the relationships with the parents, which can be difficult uh, as well. So those are some of the, the bigger things that I think just don't get thought about. I would also say that there's a lot that can be done at home before you start to go through traditional IUI or IVF, because especially when you're talking about a lesbian couple, because they have the ability to get sperm from either a donor fresh or frozen, and then do ICI, intracervical insemination at home. And I've seen that be very, very successful if done appropriately the right timing and, and, and so forth. So there seems to be more options on that avenue as well. So fascinating. It's like we have to bring more consciousness to the entirety of the process and also think differently about relationships because it's not as simple and not that any relationship is simple, but there are more relationships to manage in the process. Mark, in working with transgender, a transgender couple or a transgender mm-hmm. uh, individual who is looking to get pregnant, are there added hormone issues that would be coming up in consideration because of hormones that need to be temporarily suppressed or heightened in order to sustain a pregnancy? 100%. And I, I think that also comes in, there's a lot of different variations when you're looking at that as well, because it depends, is it a a full transgender, you know, makeover, or is it partial? Um, And how does that play a role? I I have a couple who is the the woman is not transgender, the husband is, Mm -hmm. and he was a female, but not all his organs were replaced, right? So there's so many different dynamics to take into account in a situation like this. But if it's a full transgender 
situation, then absolutely you have to account for these hormones. And in some cases, it's still not going to be possible to, you know, for, for them to fully be involved in the baby making process, right? right. Um, I think in the end, in this population, you do end up having to utilize IVF much more than I would traditionally like for somebody, you know, for couples to to have to go through. And there's going to be, it's going to be much more complex when you are looking at hormones, you've got to suppress certain hormones, you've got to uh, facilitate, enhance. enhance other hormones yeah, when, they're yeah. when they're going through a stimulation cycle. You've got to, especially if you're still trying to use the eggs from one person, but maybe, you know, was previously female and you want to use those eggs. So, but they're, you're trying to suppress estrogen normally and enhance testosterone and all the androgens. It's very complex. It's really not a simple process. And there's a lot to consider in that situation. So I think as a couple, they have to decide how far are they willing to go? How much do you want to invest in that hormone balancing piece? And is it worth it um, to, to, you know, to go through the IVF process um, utilizing those eggs? It still might be the best option to get a donor. In that situation, right. it's so it's so challenging. And when I have worked with couples in that situation, I really have encouraged them to use a donor because long term, it's going to be so much easier for them to manage the situation. Yeah, I would imagine too. And I, I'm thinking about this story I saw told at the Moth here in Portland, but I know I can find the link to it where there was a transgender male gay but wanted to have the child because he was in a, a male to male relationship, but was born female. And so he went through the process of getting pregnant and then being appearing to be a pregnant male. But I would imagine there are also issues there psychologically when 100%. the body is doing something that isn't related to what the brain knows the body should be doing and that it goes back to some of that dysmorphia during that time, which points to what you're talking about in the cost or the risk of that process. No, absolutely. I mean, I think this emotional piece is one that doesn't get discussed enough across the board when it comes to fertility, but certainly in, in this population. And it puts a huge stressor on them as a couple, as an individual. So there's a whole, you know, adrenal impact that gets brought into it. It puts a, I think, a whole stress on their relationship. So it's really challenging across the board, not to mention, you know, you're talking about all the different physical changes, the emotional, spiritual component, and also their, their relationship to to each other, but to their community as a whole. So it's really a challenging piece to manage. There's so much more opportunity though today than there was previously, right? To to start a family and to have children in ways that just weren't available before. Um, and so many practices, so many more practices, I should say, in IVF clinics that are willing to work with them and be more responsive and accommodating, if you will, both to how they handle them, but also how they support them hormonally through the process. 
Yeah. I mean, if I think about even my own lifetime, gay and lesbian pregnancies have been more normalized and supported, whereas it would take a really special practitioner to understand the complexities of supporting a transgender individual in becoming pregnant and carrying through the full pregnancy, given all the hormonal shifts and changes and challenges and the mental health through that time. So I'm grateful for the work you're doing. I kind of want to back us up just to thinking about IVF and how we prepare the body, no matter what relationship the person is in terms of their sexuality or their gender identity. How do we prepare the body for IVF or what is likely going to need to happen to, to get pregnant? Yeah, preparation is always key. And, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things is starting with the structural piece of, uh, of both partners here, right? Just making sure that everything is in, is in order. Obviously, we need to have a healthy uterus and healthy endometrium ready to be receptive for implantation. And that is such an important key piece. We tend to spend so much time and energy and research, quite frankly, on the egg and sperm quality of things and often, you know, overlook, for lack of a better word, until someone's had multiple failures, whether it's unsuccessful IVF transfers or implantation failure, miscarriage, is that's really when we start to look at the uterine environment. And so I think that is a piece that is often overlooked. And so in this preparation phase, which I do encourage couples to take at least two to three months, if not more, depending on their medical history and uh, hormonal history to prepare for a procedure. You know, we would never walk into a marathon without any training, right? And I always like to use that as an example, because if you just started at the starting line of a marathon, you wouldn't make it past the first mile. And if you did, you'd be hurting to go past it. And so we want to be successful. We want to thrive through the process itself, which means preparation. And that takes more time than I think many of us give credit to. And also the ability to look at all these other areas in our life that might be influencing and and affecting our ability to conceive. And so obviously we're talking about fertility, so hormones and, and understanding what your hormones are doing, but more importantly, what's impacting your hormones. We know today so much more than we did before about the variables and triggers that might negatively influence our endocrine system, like environmental toxins, all the different chemicals that we are exposed to. And there's more and more research every day coming out around this topic that it just can't be ignored. And then one of the key variables or areas I should say that I find in my work that dramatically impacts reproductive function is your GI health. Mm -hmm. You do not have a healthy gut and it's not functioning properly, you've made sure that there's no underlying um, yeast overgrowth, unwanted bacteria or parasites, which I often find, you know, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. And I can give an example of a, a woman who came in just recently, and to her credit, she decided to start to prepare for her IVF cycle. But, you know, she did go through a couple of cycles that didn't go as planned for her. And 
And when I did my initial workup, her digestive system was a mess. And so we started there. And one of the interesting things was she was told that her egg reserve was very low. Her AMH, anti-malarian hormone, was very low. And when she started, it was at 0.3. And the only thing I did for the first three and a half months was work on clearing out bacteria and some parasites that she had and really getting her digestive function optimal. Not quite where I want it to be but because that takes time, but it's definitely better than where it was. And three months into it, when we retested her AMH, it was almost at a one. It's a huge increase from her first from her first reading when she started with me. And I didn't do anything or barely anything to work on egg quality. It was all digestive health. Yeah. So it shows how much these other areas like environmental toxins, gastrointestinal health, whatever, all of these areas dramatically influence our body and certainly reproductive function. I, I really love that. And my biggest takeaways in terms of the work that we can all do to support the LGBTQ folks who do want to get pregnant is do this root work to back it up, to look at these non-negotiables and that we can help people to prepare for the practitioners like yourself who are then going to do that next step of intervention. So GI, environmental factors, detoxification, all the right side of the matrix, really making sure the body is prepared. Also, Mark, big takeaway for me is just like looking at the triggers around the relationship to the body, the relationship to being pregnant, the relationship to starting a family and what family means. There's so much deep work that we can do to be broader support structure for the community, all people who want to carry babies and start families. Absolutely. Our work is not just one of physical, right? We're not just always trying to change the physical aspect of the way the body works. We have to also address the emotional piece as well, especially when you're doing fertility work and someone who's been through it, through going through it for a while, but even more so in the LGBTQ community. Thank you. Such beautiful work you're doing. I'm so grateful to spend this time with you, Mark. Thanks for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.